Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Last week we looked at verse 18 of Ephesians, yeah, Ephesians 1. We're looking at the um, Paul's prayer. But let's go back and, and look at verse 18, and I'm going to read from Barclays. Said it's it is the aim of my prayers that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what hope his calling has brought to you, what wealth of glory there is in our inheritance among the saints. And it's just that's just a great way to start that prayer off. Um, he prays that we get enlightenment, which is revelation, which is. You can, you know, I used to hear Brother Hagen talk all the time about um, difference between knowing something in your head and knowing something in your heart. And I think what Paul's talking about here, enlightenment or revelation, is the difference between that. Pastor Bob, our pastor from, from Tulsa, used to talk about there were two kinds of confessions. There was the confession unto faith, where you took something that you saw in the word and you knew it was true and you agreed with it but you just weren't as as paul said in romans about abraham you weren't fully persuaded yet and you would start making a confession unto faith and after a period of time of of declaring this is this is mine this is what god wants for me this is who god says i am at some point, you get enlightenment or you get revelation, and then you can make the confession of faith. And because it's it's um, Mark eleven twenty three and twenty four, you know, if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart and confess with confess with your mouth, and do not doubt in your heart, you will have whatsoever you say. Well. That not doubting in your heart is the hard part, you know. It's uh, it takes. It's not us, but it takes a lot of work to change the way you think, to change the way you view the world, to change your viewpoint. That's what Paul's saying. He said right here. What he wants us to be enlightened on is to know what hope his calling has brought to us. And what wealth of glory there is in the inheritance that's already in us. And he's actually going to repeat sort of that thought in verse 19. But it, that, I want to just set out kind of as a review. Everything Paul's talking about, we've already got. Um, we sometimes fail in our prayers because we, and this is just my observation, most of the prayers I hear are prayers about, Lord, I need this. So-and-so needs this. Uh, bring this to us. And when I read Paul, everywhere Paul says, you've already got it. It's yours in Christ. And we haven't, as a church, and I don't know that the, 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 the first century church had a great handle on this either. 
um, because that's why Paul's preaching it so hard. I'm sure individuals did, but until you know, I mean, until your thinking becomes fully convinced that I am just like Jesus. When the devil looks at me, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see me. Now, you know, and I think of the, um, the spy, the ten spies that came back from spying out the land. Ten of the, of the twelve, they saw all the problems. They didn't see God's ability. But Joshua and Caleb, they saw the problems. They were aware of them. But, and they didn't doubt, yeah, it's going to be tough. But their attitude was, God said it's ours. And let's go fight. You know, we're going to win. I don't care if it's a fight. Let's go get it over with and possess the land. And I think that's what Paul's saying. You've got this inheritance that's already on you. There's a wealth of glory in it. And you need to get the hope of that. You need to get a, a revelation because Hebrews um, chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Until you get the hope, you can't apply faith. If you don't have the hope, if you don't see that as a possibility, you can't apply your faith and say, well, it's mine now. Even though I don't see it, what God's word says is evident. You've got to, yeah, you've got to get a glimpse of it. at least that's a possibility. I, one of my former pastors, his mother developed cancer, and he was raised Southern Baptist, just like me, got filled with the Spirit, spoke in tongues. Brother Hagin said he got the left foot of fellowship from amongst the Baptists. Believed in healing, preached healing, preached deliverance. His brother, also in the ministry, was a hardcore Hardshell Baptist. Well, his mom got cancer. My pastor went, sat down with his mom, and he's trying to preach healing. He didn't want his mom to die cancer. And his brother came in in the midst of this and challenged everything he said and said, don't give mom false hope. And... And usually, yeah, you, the same scriptures that Michael would use to try to show his mom that it's God's will to heal, his brother would use those same scriptures, but take it in it from a different perspective. And I don't to be honest with you, I don't even remember what happened now. But until you get that that vision that it is possible, you've got nothing to work with. And that vision has to come from the word, yes. But you've got to be enlightened on that hope. Let's read verse 19 because that's part of what Paul goes on here uh, with Barclays. He says, well, let me go back up and read it with, um, well, let me read it with 17 because it's one long, long, long sentence. Uh, Verse 17 It is the aim of my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom, the spirit which brings new revelation, as you come to know him more and more fully. 
It is the aim of my prayers that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what hope his calling has brought to you, what wealth of glory there is in our inheritance among the saints, what surpassing greatness there is in his power to us who believe with the belief which was wrought by the might of his strength. Now he goes on, but I don't want to go too far because I'll, I'll never get back here. But I love this. The, he, he's praying. This is just a continuation of his prayer. He started there at the very beginning in 17. He's founding this prayer on three things. God's character, first of all. And then he gives us in verse 18, what we looked at last week, the glimpse of the glory that we're destined to have in its fullness in the millennial reign. And, it, and really, even we don't have it in heaven. Because in heaven, you know, if we die before Jesus comes back, we don't have a body in heaven. We're just a uh, um, um, disembodied spirit. I mean, it's the real us, but God intended for us to live in a body. That's why Jesus is, I mean, he's in a body for all eternity. He's so identified with us that he took on that flesh. And so it's in the millennial reign, and then later in the, the ages to come, the new heaven and the new earth, that we will fully inherit and fully participate or manifest that glory. And at that point, we will look like Jesus did on the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm convinced that with Adam and Eve, they were naked and not ashamed because I don't really think they ever saw each other's bodies. Now, in that age of innocence, I don't know that it would have mattered, but I think they were so full of God's glory that they literally, the glory shined off them to where if you would look at them, I mean, it, it, Moses was a fallen man, and he got so full of glory that they said, put a mask over your face. We don't want to see the glory of God. It convicts us. Well, Adam and Eve hadn't fallen. They just they could manifest the full glory of God. Well, that's what we're going back to in the millennial reign, other than the fact that our new bodies won't be subject to death where theirs were. But he says that all of that is coming or because of the surpassing greatness there is in the power says to us king james says us toward or toward us i love the amplified of verse 19 says and so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. These are according with the working of his mighty strength. God's word is even better, shorter, but better. He says, you will also know the unlimited greatness of his power as it works with might and strength for us, the believers. That the, the power that King James says he extends towards us God's Word translation, and, and Barclay said it in his commentary. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it in his commentary. Everywhere I looked, everyone agreed that I could find. says the thought there is that power is already at work in us. And it works 
with the might and the strength for us because we're believers, because we're Christians. And that's the third thing that, that Paul's prayer is founded on. The power of God is already working in us. Even though, to be honest with you, most of us fall short, you know. Paul says, you've got the power of God in you. You know, you are God's favorite child. You, you know, you represent the best that God has. And most of us look at our car- ourselves so carnally that I, it's just hard for me to believe. I see myself, I see all my faults. I see all my failures. Well, that's because I haven't renewed my mind. I haven't renewed my mind to realize if, if there's a conflict between what I think and what God says, God's right and I'm wrong. And yes, I still am subject to failure. I still do fail. Till Jesus comes back and puts away this, this sinful body, flesh, I will always be subject to failure and will always fall short of the glory of God. In that sense, I'm never going to fully attain while I'm in this flesh. But that doesn't mean that I can't be fully pleasing to him in every good work. That doesn't mean that, that, um, that God can't, well, for one thing, it doesn't mean that I can't manifest God's glory in my life right now. Now, I'm certain that if I manifested the glory in the same, to the same degree that Jesus did on the Mount of Transfiguration, <laughs> my body would probably be a little pile of cinders because the glory won't inhabit um, a, a, a vessel that has the, the nature of the flesh, not to that degree. But I can, I can probably, well, I was joking earlier about my vocabulary, you know, um, I'm probably, well, I think I exaggerated. I said I was 99% better than what I was years ago. I'm probably 90% better than what I was years ago. I still, when I get angry, I slip, or if I'm just not thinking. But spiritually, to be honest with you, if I gave you a, a, an honest assessment of my life, I feel like when I read Paul and I dig into something like Ephesians or go into Colossians, Galatians, I feel like that I'm probably running at about 4 or 5% of what God um, really wants me to be at. I feel like that, and I even heard Brother Hagin say one time, he said, you know, we, we walk up and we've got this ocean of grace out in front of us and we dip our big toe into it and then, you know, back up on the beach and scream and shout and dance and act like we've just, we've, we, we've manifested God's glory and we haven't even got anything but our toe wet. And he said, we need to, you know, we need to start swimming in the ocean. We need to jump out and sweep, swim out to the deep end of the pool. Well, I feel kind of that way too, but I also know that my carnal mind fights me. Peter, in his writing, said, your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion. I'm convinced that what he roars is, you're not qualified. You're a sinner. You're bad. You know, you're, you're, you're not smart enough. You're too smart. 
you're you, you're not wealthy enough. You're too wealthy, and it doesn't matter where you go. I mean, if you're average, well, you're just average. If you're above average, well, then you're just too you know you're too far out there. It doesn't matter where you are. He's going to find fault with you, and and he's going to and the, the problem is we agree with it because that's really how we see ourselves, and and that's what that backing up to verse eighteen. That's what Paul's trying to get across to us. Look, you've got the power of God on the inside of you. The same power. In fact, if you go on down to verse 20, he said that power is the power which was wrought in Christ to raise him from the dead and to set him at God's right hand in the heavenly places. I, b- before I was born again, I was lost. I was, I had, I was, there was nothing in me that wasn't wicked. Even my best was still filthy. It was just horrible. You know, I was depraved. And, and I, I know, I think, because of, of how I was in my backslidden days, some of the things that I know I did, I, I have a, quite a, 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 a clear glimpse of how depraved I actually am or was. But Jesus, and, and, and don't misunderstand what I'm going to say here, Jesus was just as depraved when he took all of our sin. He became the worst of mankind. And I'm, I'm bad. I'm depraved. I mean, I know where my heart is. I know how quick. I mean, you hurt my wife. You hurt my kids. My flesh will erupt in a heartbeat. I, I mean, I get, I get vicious and I don't, there's no mercy. There's nothing. It's just I want blood and I want lots of it. I want to see you squirming on the ground and I want you begging for mercy and there's not going to be any mercy coming. And, and, and that's just my flesh. But, but that's still there. But I'm not near as bad as, you know, when you look at, at Hitler, you look at Stalin, you look at Pol Pot. Some of the things these despots have done, and especially in the 20th century. Jesus took all of that. He was, he was Joseph Stalin, Hitler, Pol Pot, and every other mass murderer, all inclusive. And yet when God said, that's enough, the price is paid, all of that sin and all of that vileness and all of that depravity just in a second of time was gone and he was restored to the righteousness that he deserved because it wasn't his sin that same power that raised him from as low as he was and he was lower than I was that same powers on the inside of me and if I could get a glimpse of that if I could get a, 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 a revelation and really get enlightened so that when God says, I want you to do this, it's like, wow, I don't know if I deserve that. Well, I, I don't remember who it was. It might have been Keith Moore. I think he was the first one, and he, it may not be original to him. But somebody told him one time, I think, uh, brother, you, something good happened. Or he got, someone gave him something, I think. And he said, you, you deserve that. And he said, oh, my Lord, let's don't go to what I deserve. 
Because what I deserve is to live a short, miserable, sick life, to die and go to hell and suffer for all eternity. That's what I deserve. This is nothing. This has nothing to do with what I deserve. This has to do with what God gave me, and and what He's put in me, and it's there. It's the the greatness of the power is God given, and part of it is He put the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We have the Spirit of God that created the universe. In fact, I I want to look at this a couple of places. Psalm 8, verse 3. This is... um, I always get amused when I... I I just... I love science. That's why I taught science for years. And every once in a while, I I still have to get on the... the science channel or the National Geographic channel, and and you'll hear, especially when they get into, you know the different physics, they'll, they'll go back and try to explain the, the Big Bang, and they'll come up with a thousand different ways to deny that, that there was a God that did all that. And, and, and I don't have a problem with the terminology, the Big Bang. It's just a science way of saying that, you know, in one second that nothing existed and in the next second, everything was there, and it was hot, and it was expanding, and, and everything that we have now came from that. The, the funniest one that I've heard is, well, there was this primordial egg. It was a singularity, and everything existed in there, and it just broke forth for some reason. And I always want to say, well, who made that primordial egg? I mean, it, 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 at some point, there was nothing and then there was something. Well, that nothing, something came out of nothing because God said, let there be light. And that's the theological explanation. But in Psalm 8, sorry, I don't know how I'm in Job. I won't do. Psalm 8, uh, let's just, it's a short one. Let's start at the beginning. O Lord... How excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And then verse 3 is what I was coming to. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained... He says there in verse 3 that the, the heavens, the, the universe, is the work of God's fingers. Well, I've got some strength. Never was a very strong person. But i got a lot more strength in my arm and in my legs and in my core than I have in my fingers. I always admired um, pitchers because a very good pitcher throws very little with their arm. Everybody always talks about, that guy's a lot of arm strength. Well, there is some, there is some truth to that. But a good pitcher, he's pitching as much with his legs and his back as he is with his arm because that's where his real strength is. 
It only took the strength in God's fingers to create the entire universe. I mean, that's, he's got a lot in reserve. And then when you take, this isn't in my notes, but let me throw this out there. I've heard a lot of people, and I've heard this from a lot of Christian sources too. They want to equate the devil and God. There is no equating. If you want to equate the devil with someone, the devil is on par with the archangel Michael. That's who he would be on par with. God stands so much higher than either. They're both created archangels. Now, the devil fell and Michael didn't, but that, they're on par with each other. God is far above them. You take all of the strength and everything that the devil has, he still doesn't compare to what God has. But then you're, you're there in Psalm. Turn over, get turn this page, to Psalm 98. And hold your place there, and also go to Isaiah 59. We're going to go to Isaiah first, and then we're going to come back to Psalm 98. Uh, Isaiah 59, verse 15. He says, So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. And he put on, a, a right, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Here Isaiah says, God looked around on the earth and he saw, there's no man. There's nobody I can count on to fulfill God's will. So he said, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to depend on my own arm to do that, speaking of Jesus. But using the reference of his arm to bring about salvation for himself. And then if you go back to Psalm but Psalm 98, verse 1 and 2, he says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. It says that his right hand and his right arm brought the victory. In other words, when Jesus was in the midst of paying the price for sin, he had become sin. It took the strength of God's right hand and his right arm, which is the position of strength. When, when somebody would say, well, this is my right hand man, that means this is the guy that gets things done for me. Well, God said, I'm going to take the strength of my arm to gain the victory. Fingers to create the universe took the strength of his arm to bring Jesus out of out of death, back into life, and yet he hasn't even taxed his his strength yet. I mean, I never was much for doing curls, but I maybe even at the height of my strength, I might have curled, I don't know, seventy five to hundred pounds, and that's probably a little high for what I could do. 
growing up on the farm, more than one time, I'd take a 150-pound feed sack, throw it up on my shoulder, and go walk from the truck to the barn to throw it in or the shed to, to, to stack it in there. Never thought of carrying a hunt. And sometimes if I get somebody to pick it up, I'll, I'd put one on each shoulder and walk with 300 pounds and, and didn't phase me a bit to do it when I was in shape and young. There's a big difference between 15, 75 pound curls and carrying a 300 pound load. Well, God, it didn't even tax God's strength to get Jesus out of out of uh, to resurrect him and that same strength is in on the inside of us he said i i'm working that resurrection power the same power that it took to raise jesus from the dead so when i look at it and say this part of my life's dead i can't i i i i've i've messed this up so bad there's no life in it god says well i can resurrect that uh, you, you got my resurrection power on the inside of you. And it doesn't matter what area of life, health, wealth, relationships, um, anything you have destroyed, God can restore. And, and in fact, and any, well, and, and, and the great part is anything the devil's destroyed, God will, the devil has to pay you back sevenfold. Anything you screw up, God will bring it back and it'll be multiplied. God, God, you can't give anything to God. You can give him your foul-ups, and he'll restore it and multiply it. The, using the parable of the sower, is some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. So he starts a heck of a lot higher than sevenfold. But we have to, to do that. When, when, when Jesus conquered death and hell, he conquered every hindrance that the enemy could possibly set in our path. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. But in Hebrews 2, starting in um, verse 14, he says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death... He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And this is the great part. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject, subject to bondage. It's the fear of death. Not just physical death, although that's the ultimate, but death of everything. You know, how many times have you said in your own life, man... It's just, it seems like everything I put my hand to, I screw up. I can't do anything right. I just, I messed that up, I messed that up, I messed that up, I messed that up. And we all do, you know. I, I love it. And everybody has fantasized at one time, what if I could jump in a time machine and as I went back in time, my body would get younger again. And go back and live my life over again. Put me in my 15-year-old my body with the experiences in the mind I have now and live through all of that again. And I've thought about it. I would just make different mistakes. The huge mistakes I made back then, I wouldn't make those. I learned. 
it took me a long time. I ran in some of those brick walls. I ran into a lot before I finally figured out this don't work. But I would just find I would find there would be other areas since I didn't make that mistake. I would go off in a different direction. I'd make different errors. I'm always going to be prone to making errors and failure. In fact, you know, the interesting statistic, and I, I've heard this several places, that it's hard to find anyone that is extremely wealthy that hasn't been bankrupt once or twice. Now, you find a few guys like Bill Gates and, and some of the um, technological millionaires, they, they just, they were so far advanced that they didn't, they didn't have that problem. But for a lot of businessmen, that they didn't become super wealthy they just became millionaires which in our day and age there you know there's a lot of millionaires out there they failed at a lot of businesses before they finally found one that stuck and they could make it work they learned from their mistakes though and for us it's not so much even learning from our mistakes but learning that just because something died doesn't mean it has to stay dead god can resurrect it God, if we will turn it over to him and realize we've got that power on the inside of us now. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26. In, in verse 26 of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Well, Jesus has broken the power of death, but we are still subject to death that it's it's it doesn't when i say jesus is has um has destroyed death for him it is he has eternal life in himself now he's put that life in us and and in our spirit and our soul will live eternally our bodies won't yet because he hasn't consummated that's the last enemy he's going to put under his physical death and when the devil goes into to the lake of fire and all of his followers follow and we go into the new heaven and the earth, then death will be totally consumed and there will be no death in the universe for anyone. But the great part is if you drop on, you're still there in chapter 15, drop down to verse 55. Well, let's read 54. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, that's either the rapture or the, the second coming, depending on where we fall. And this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. But even now we can say, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The last verse there. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, or better translation would be the energy of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Death still exists for us, but it doesn't have a sting. You know, just, what, a couple weeks ago, Kenny laid here in state. 
and it you know we just gobsmacked first of all because he was much too young to die and it was there just wasn't any, there weren't any health issues I mean if I drop dead with all the health issues that I've had to deal with it's like well well, I guarantee you, my doctors from my cardiologist originally, <laughs> I should have never made it this far. I mean, I'm tw almost 20 years post heart attack, and he didn't think I'd make it 10. So I've doubled what his estimate was, and I got another 20 coming. But the great part about that is you mourn his loss, but you also know this isn't the end. You can look in that coffin, and you know, well, He's, he's shed. He's not here. This is just a house. And it was condemned. He had to move out. But at some point, I'm either going to go to be with him or he's going to come back in the air and we'll meet in the air together and go on and have a seven-year feast with Jesus. But there's pain in that death, sure. But nothing like... I, I, the, the worst one I know of, and I'm going to finish with this thought, and we'll, I didn't get done, but we'll pick up the next, the last thought of Paul's prayer here, which is the body of Christ. But the, the, the worst funeral I ever did, my stepmom asked me to do her uncle's funeral. And I, because it was her, I said yes. Usually I would have said, nope, don't know the guy, really not interested in just doing strangers' funerals. But she asked, and I said, sure, you know. Then I asked, why doesn't he have a pastor? Oh, Lord, that man never darkened the door of a church in his life. He was probably the meanest human being I ever knew. She said his wife lives with him but hates him. His kids won't talk to him. He doesn't have a friend in the world. The man is just, he's almost evil personified. Well, now, have that to be your 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 testimony and and i'm gonna go preach hope to this people and you know for the few people and i'm sure his mama loved him uh she wasn't alive he was fairly elderly when he died but that death has some sting because if you knew him and you knew how he lived you knew more than likely this man's in hell today and that's not a good feeling especially if you're close to him and you've never presented the gospel. In the same way that God's going to resurrect our bodies at some point, he can resurrect anything in our lives that we will believe him for. Because that's part of what verse 19 said. It's for us that are believers. And believers is not a title, it's an action. You know? We, we, need to be, we, we, we need to quit being unbelieving believers and be believing believers. That's not easy to do all the time, but it is possible. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.